Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners and creators who want to know what works with social media. I am really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Joe Polizzi, and we're going to explore business models for generating revenue as a publisher. Now, if you are a content creator or a publisher, blogger, podcaster, YouTube creator, dot, 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 this episode is going to be super valuable because we're going to explore many different ways that you can monetize the content that you're creating to grow a very successful and potentially very large business. We're also going to dig into how Joe was able to do this and ultimately sell his company. So you're going to love it. All right. Email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. If you have any questions, let's now transition to this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week, I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? I found a really cool website called FontJoy that helps you to pair fonts for for those design projects you're working on. So when you say pair fonts, what do you mean? Yes. So sometimes you want to have more than one font to kind of create a symmetry or a contrast or a tension in your text, you know, a ton of the visual imagery that's out there right now that's being shared is these quote graphics, for example, mm-hmm. or to put text into something that's already like a, vis- a very visual, like panoramic image. You want to throw some quote text in there, but you want, you don't want it to be all the same font. You want to have some comparative contrast, things like that. And FontJoy is really cool because you go there to fontjoy.com and it will generate font pairings, and you can do a little slider that makes it either more contrasted or very similar, or you slide the slider the other way, and it'll give you pairings that are more high contrast, more, uh, and by contrast, I don't mean light and dark. I mean like one's really bold and big and weird, and the other's like small and tiny and and or like different, a very a, a very completely different type of font, so to speak. Can you put in some sample text and it kind of shows you what it'll look like together? Yeah, exactly. So you can type and you can click in. I mean, they give you some stuff. They give you like a, a bold, a very bold uh, headline example. They give you like a pull quote type of an example. And then they give you some body text example if in case this is like maybe for a print or a, a blog post, but you can click on any of those and put your cursor there and change the letters into what you're going to be playing with. 
And if you, uh, with these font pairings, I mean, what can you, what if you don't have the fonts on your computer? Does it let, allow you to buy them or what's the deal? Yeah, it shows you what they are. So then what you can do is you can, you, I mean, you, you will literally know what the name of it is and then you can go and you can purchase that. I don't believe they're for purchase there on the site, but again, you can search for that once you have the name of the font. Awesome. And is it free? It's totally free. Yeah. So awesome. to, to go get to it, yeah, to get to it, you just go to fontjoy.com, F-O-N-T-J-O-Y.com. Awesome. Eric, thank you so much for bringing us that brand new find. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And now for this week's interview with Joe Polizzi. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. This week, I'm excited to be joined by my good friend, Joe Polizzi. Joe is the founder of the Content Marketing Institute and Content Marketing World. He's authored five books, including Epic Content Marketing and Content Inc. His newest book is called Killing Marketing, How Innovative Businesses Are Turning Marketing Cost Into Profit. Joe, welcome to the show. Michael, it is always good to talk to you. So, and usually we don't talk uh, under you know the pr- premise of being recorded. So this is this is totally different. That's right. I have to be on good behavior for this one. That's right. That, you won't have a problem with that, Joe. <laughs> so what today, Joe and I are going to talk about is really how to turn marketing into a profit center, uh, or how to generate revenue, if you will, from your content for the smaller business. So, Joe, let's start with why in the world did you write this book? Well, as you said, five books. I write a book every other year, and uh, my good friend Robert Rose and I, we we work with mostly very large businesses, and we've been seeing this huge trend of, hey, what if marketing wasn't just a cost center? What if we actually thought about it as a profit center? And we are we started to see models. Of course, you see things like Red Bull Media House. You see companies like Mondelay and Pepsi that are actually doing this. And they're saying, hey, we, we want our marketing in and of itself to be profitable. And this is a new concept. Like nobody is thinking this way for the most part, except for the companies that I talked about. And I really believe in the next five to 10 years, this is going to be the rule, not the exception. But nobody, not many people agree with me yet. But I think that it's absolutely happening. And I think the word has to get out. I think that more marketers need to know that it's not about distraction anymore. It's not about, I mean, we know about the the tale of advertising and traditional advertising, where that's going. And it's about, hey, what if we actually created a trusted relationship with our audience? And if we do that, how do we monetize that? 
we don't just have to monetize it through selling products like most companies do. We can monetize it 10 different ways. And I think that most marketers are either short-sighted or they just don't see what's happening in the future. And by the way, you and I both talk about this before. We aren't taught about this in university. Right. Nobody's taught about this in their marketing classes. So this is you know, sort of a new concept. And uh, it's really starting in the, in the companies that we're talking to. They're like, what? Like, we can do that? Is that a thing? I'm like, yes, it's absolutely a thing. And that's sort of the, the main premise behind the book is I want people to start thinking that this is a possibility. So the biggest mistake that you think businesses are making with their marketing, both big and small, is what exactly? Because you did title the book Killing Marketing. I think we're setting up the marketing department entirely the wrong way. I think we're setting it up to travel around helping to get sales opportunities for our sales team, which by the way is fine. A lot of companies are doing that, but I don't think they see at all the potential in what their companies can really be and what their companies really sell. And you know this, like, you know, what? look at any company and look at, the, let's say that's lasted 10, 15 years. Have they sold different things? Do they sell the same thing? No, we always evolve and we sell new things. And what we really want to focus on is not necessarily the products we sell, which they're important. Don't get me wrong. Products we sell are extremely important. But I don't think we can lead product first anymore. I think what we need, the only competitive we have advantage that we have today is our communication. Everything else out there can be duplicated by any other company, any other individual. So what can we actually do? Our job in marketing is to make markets. A marketer is supposed to make markets. We're supposed to create an opportunity for our organization. I don't think marketers see it that way. I think we're focused too much on campaigns and advertising and get more opportunities in the door instead of what if we did this, the potential for our company is unlimited. We can sell all kinds of different things that we never thought about before because of the fact that we're focused on the people and not necessarily what we have to sell. Does, does that make sense? Am I, am I talking? I think, it, not- I think it does. And let's talk about some examples so that okay. people can wrap their brain around it. Look at one of the, the largest, uh, uh, babycenter.com, one of the largest sites dedicated to mothers. Eight out of 10 mothers in the United States get their content on a regular basis from this site. And by the way, it's owned by Johnson & Johnson. And by the way, they monetize it directly. And by the way, it's the best research and development site on the planet, and they launch new products from that. Um, you and I, you know, everyone knows the, the Red Bull Media House story. They are judged as a profit center. They're the they're a marketing arm for Red Bull. Of course, they want to sell more cans of Red Bull. But they are actually, on paper, it's revenues coming from advertising, from content syndication. They take their videos, they package them up, and they sell them to companies like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal. So they're doing those types of things. They're selling subscriptions. They have 2 million subscribers to Red Bulletin Magazine that you can find in basically every uh, every Hudson News at any airport that you would, you would go to as well. So they're judged just like a media company. I'll give you one of my favorite examples right now, Mike, is actually Aero Electronics. And a lot of people don't know about Aero. Aero is the 119th company on the Fortune 500 list. Uh, they uh, $24 billion company, and they're sort of like the Amazon.com for electronics equipment. And they target electrical engineers. Two years ago, 
they went to Hearst and they went to UBM, or actually our parent company, United Business Media, and they bought 51 media properties with EE product news and electronic news report and all these other media properties. And they are now the largest media company in the electronics industry. Well, how are they judged? Yes, it's a marketing arm for the organization, but they also are extremely profitable. So part of the reason why Aero Electronics stock prices have been going through the roof over the past couple of years is because they have a media arm that's generating direct profit as well as helping them sell more products and services as well. So those are like three really big ones, and we could talk about it. You want so, some small wait, examples? Yeah, no, let's, I, let's, I want to talk about small examples, but I want you to break down like what's the common thread between these examples? What do we as marketers need to understand from these examples? So what marketers usually do is they target customers or prospects. And we see them, oh, what's the goal of a customer or what's the goal of a prospect? Well, we want that customer product, pro, uh, pro, customer or prospect to buy our products or services. That's how we think as marketers, and it's short-sighted. What we need to think is, who are our audiences? Who are the audiences we're trying to reach? The average B2B company has anywhere from seven to nine or more different audiences. And what if we build a loyal relationship with those audiences? Because in every example I just told you, they all have very loyal relationships with very specific audiences. Once you have a loyal, trusted relationship with an audience, you can sell them anything. That's the difference. You don't just have to, you're not just limited to, I need to sell them baby food. You can sell them anything, and that's what Baby Center started. That's what Johnson & Johnson starting to do, the Aero Electronics. Aero Electronics actually create – they have a team that creates custom content for some of their competitors. They profit from, from their direct – do you believe that? They profit from their direct competitors hmm. because they have an audience these competitors want to reach. Now, I'm not saying that all companies are going to do that because most marketers would say that's crazy talk. But it's absolute. They're they're looking at it as a business model, and also, hey, if they see an opportunity there to build a loyal relationship with more with their audience, and they can monetize that, they're absolutely going to do it. So the the running theme is, don't just look at your customer list, don't just look at your prospect list. Look at the audience and the value of that audience, and if you build a relationship, you can monetize it. In some cases, up to ten different ways. Now you're going to give some smaller examples. Go for it. Smaller examples, uh, I know this company, um, Social Media Examiner, is <laughs> a really good example. I mean, your company, my company, Content Marketing Institute, are really good examples where you built a loyal audience, and then off of the back to that, you generate, what, probably four or five different ways that you monetize the relationship with your subscribers. Then we do the same thing at Content Marketing Institute. Um, let's go kind of outside a little bit. Ann Reardon. Ann Reardon is known as the baking queen of Sydney, Australia. She's got an amazing YouTube channel focused on uh, unbelievable uh, things that you would make, uh, unbelievable recipes. Like, uh, how do I make a cake that looks uh, a perfect replica of the Instagram cake when you cut it open? Or how do I make a five-pound cake that looks like a Snickers bar? And she's got over three million subscribers now, and she monetizes that just two ways. She sells a ton of merchandise from it, and then she also sells sponsorships and advertising from YouTube. So that's just a very small situation. That's a mom-and-pop example. Her and her husband started that site, and now um, her husband is sort of her agent, and she goes around Australia, and now the world's speaking about her example and what she's been able to do. Uh, Missouri Star Quilting Company is another great one. They have a, a hundreds of thousands of followers on YouTube. They have a regular quilting 
YouTube channel, if you will, and they have become, um, I think it's Hamilton, Missouri, is where they were located. They are now the largest employer in Hamilton, Missouri, because people started to watch these videos from all over the world, and they come to Hamilton, Missouri, is sort of like the, it's like the Disney world for quilting. And so they, they actually get people come in, they're buying different quilts, they're, they're meeting the founder, they're doing all kinds of stuff, and they're being able to, to monetize a YouTube channel, not just off of advertising like we think of YouTube. They're selling direct products like they never thought would before. They're hiring dozens and dozens of people from the area, and that's the power of having an audience. So it's just most people don't have the patience for it like you and I do and a lot of other people that we're talking about cool. where you have to focus on you know one channel, one audience at a time, one content type, and you build that audience over time. And then once you do that, then you have these possibilities of revenue. Okay, how, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about your story. When did you sure. found, when did you found the Content Marketing Institute? Officially, the Content Marketing Institute was founded in May of 2010. What were you Before, selling in the beginning? It, we were selling in the beginning. Uh, Matt, uh, we were the eHarmony for content marketing. We were a batching service where we batched up brands looking for content marketing services with agencies and journalists that provided those services. Tell us about how you evolved the products and services that you were selling. Kind of walk us through the legacy or the line of expansion, if you will. Oh, you want, I'm not going to cry, Michael. You're not going to make me cry. But <laughs> it, so basically in the fall of 2009, we were really hurting. So this is before CMI was formally launched. And so I was launched this matching service. I left the six figure job at Pent Media, big publishing company. And in 2009, uh, even though we matched over a thousand companies with agencies and journalists, the financial model wasn't working. We were bleeding cash. I'm like, oh my God, I got to go back and find a job. What's going on? And then I realized, so so I had this come to Jesus moment and it was like September, October of 2009. And then for a couple of weeks after feeling sorry for myself that, that this wasn't going to work, I started to look at the emails from our audience because we had an e-newsletter that people subscribed to. I had a regular blog about, on content marketing that people subscribed to. And I started to listen to what they were telling me. And they were saying, boy, I really wish that there was an in-person event. Uh, that I could get to know people that are struggling with these content marketing issues. And they said, I really wish, um, you know, I'd love to see a print magazine. I would love to see, can you build out this community? I need more training. My staff needs more training. We need advising. And so, Mike, what I found out is my my audience, even though they were paying attention to my content, they couldn't buy what I was offering. I was so focused on selling this matching product. And what they were asking for were totally different things. So then that was the moment I said, okay, I'm making the pivot. I'm going to focus on what the audience needs. I've built this little audience and it's really starting to work and made the total transformation and pivot in May and said, we're going to create the leading online destination for content marketing. One, two, we're going to create the leading in-person event for content marketing. And three, we're going to create the leading go-to magazine, print magazine around content marketing. And those three things from May of 2010, they ended up happening in the next 18 months. So you... Started with the conference, or was it the magazine, or was it the blog? Or started started with so basically started with the blog. So I'll talk about the monetization because I think yep. that's what you're really getting yeah. at. So in May of we launched in May and went out to what we call a ben, sold a benefactor package, which is basically an advanced sponsorship package. So you, we had a limited offer of ten sponsors that could sponsor portions of our website. That's the the first revenue that came in. 
And then, in so that was in May of 2010. And then in January of 2011, we launched the magazine and actually broke even on the first issue of the magazine selling. And we should we should clarify this is print. We're not an online selling, magazine, right? That's right. I said selling print. Uh, advertisements to companies because we started working on the database and we sent the initial magazine out to 20,000 qualified marketing professionals. And then in September of 2011, we launched Content Marketing World. And to be honest, in Cleveland, Ohio, that was the first CMW. And you know this story pretty well. I was hoping for, man, if I could get 100 people to come to Cleveland, it'd be the greatest thing in the world. We had 660 attend that event this year, that year, our first event, and we were significantly profitable. I did not expect that to happen. And now, you know, let's let's pause the story right there for a second because we got to dig in a little bit. So I persuaded Joe to have me be one of his keynotes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> with Brian Clark, we were That's on the right. sta- we were on the stage together. It was the very first year, and um, and I was so inspired by what Joe did that I decided to start Social Media Marketing World. So I just want to publicly on this podcast thank you, Joe, for going after your dream and starting a conference because I would not be doing what I'm doing right now if it was not for you doing that conference. And I know I'm just one of many people that you've had a huge well, impact. Thank on. you. Thank you for saying that, but you know that you and I met, I think it was 2008 or 2009, an online marketing summit, and you were interviewing me, and you were talking about the model that you were building, and I was infatuated with it, and you basically talked me into launching ultimately what became Content Marketing Institute, because it was the same uh, influencer-type blog where we had uh, guest blogs all the time, and I basically stole that model, so back at you. So, so <laughs> we sort of influenced each other. You got the event. I got the online destination. Exactly. It worked, it worked really well. Okay. So, so, thank you. so, so you launched the conference. It's a success, but you go on to do more stuff. So yes. keep talking. I'll go through. Yeah. I'll yeah. go through the whole thing. So then we launched webinars. So we have sponsored webinars that we sell for about 20,000 a webinar to a sponsor. They're educational webinars. We promote them out to our audience. We get about 750 to 1,000 people to, to sign up for every one of the webinars. Uh, then we launched our online training program. Online training is basically a semester-type program where you can sign up every semester. It's about $995 every time for that. That's a that's almost a million-dollar property right there. Uh, we have a podcast uh, called This Old Marketing that Robert Rose and I started in 2013. Uh, that's sponsored. Uh, we sell anywhere from seven dollars to $10,000 of sponsorships for every one of those episodes. Um, so, I mean, And then, and and then and you, you actually launched a couple more events, too. Oh, yeah. So (laughs) you keep reminding me all the things that we did. We actually purchased an event. We purchased purchased Intelligent Content Conference. So that's our March conference in Las Vegas. It's a more technical conference for larger enterprises. So we purchased that, saw the opportunity, and we've grown that event probably fourfold since we bought it a couple years ago. You started an imprint uh, too, right? Bought the bought yeah bought the awards program content marketing awards used to be called Magnum Opus Awards we bought that and really grew that I think we had over twelve hundred entries into that that's a significant profit center for us as well uh, we do we sell direct emails uh, what else do we do? oh we do consulting and advisory we do in person training we do road shows and master classes in the fall so we have probably all in thirteen or fourteen 
different ways that we generate revenue and profit for the organization. Yeah. And uh, you also had, I don't know if you still had, you had your own book imprint as well. I don't know if you're still doing that or not. We got rid of the book imprint. I realized that nobody should become a book publisher. It's just <laughs> a bad idea. <laughs> just, so if you anyone on this uh, listening to this wants to become a book publisher, just call me up. I'll talk you out of it. And, you know, uh, Joe later sold the company uh, for an undisclosed amount, but I, I, I'm, you know, on record, I think, well, maybe not on record, but I've told you many times, I thought you were crazy at all the things you were doing, but, but you did it. And it's a great example of showing the world that you can take something that starts as a blog, right? And you can make it into something, frankly, way more than you're, you're, you could ever imagine. And I think I'm glad you went through all of this because I want to spend a little bit of time talking about some of the different types of revenue models that publishers uh, could embrace. And when I say publishers, I'm talking to the people listening right now that have a blog or that have a podcast or that have a, a YouTube channel, any place where they are consistently creating content. You know, um, you know, I'm just going to throw that into the category of publisher. Sure. And you, you know that it could mean much larger organizations as well. But just to make this conversation for everyone, let's zoom in on some of the different kinds of, you know, things that people should consider doing. Um, and I know we just mentioned a ton of them, but what are some of the ones that you might want to dig in a little bit on? Sure, absolutely. So, um, the, as we talk about this in the book, but there there are ten different ways. Once you build a loyal, so first of all, got to build a loyal audience. So focus on a very specific audience and a very specific niche, like you did in social media, like we did in content marketing. Uh, and then there are actually ten different revenue opportunities. Generally, what happens is you only think about five at a time, because if you are, let's say, you sell products or services, you think, oh. If I build a loyal audience, I can sell products and services and I keep customers longer or increase their yield or sell uh, different products to that customer base. That's generally what a traditional company would think about. Well, now you have to also think like a media company where you have five additional media type revenue uh, generating activities that media companies think about. That would be like, oh, I could sell advertising to them on my site or some kind of sponsorship deal like we did with our benefactor program. Or I could launch a conference or event like Social Media Marketing World. Or I can sell premium content like uh, Digital Photography School. Our friend Darren Rouse mm -hmm. launched Digital Photography School. He sells eBooks and he's created a multi-million dollar site about from selling all these eBooks to uh, photography enthusiasts. Or you could actually do it through donations. Let's say your audience loves you so much and you can't figure out a way to generate revenue. Well, just ask for donations like ProPublica, which is sort of a, a little bit of a political site or a PBS version of a political site. They generate all their revenues from donations and people that want to keep that actively going. So that's something to think about from a donation standpoint. Charity Water is another really good example of building an amazing following and people just donate to the cause because their stories are so good. And then you could also sell Subscriptions. I mean, we sell a subscription to our training program. You have a You have a couple subscription programs, correct, Michael? I think. Yeah. We well, That's we it. have a social media marketing society, which is that's uh, right. Yeah, which is a monthly uh, program. Membership so that's program. your yeah. So that's your subscription program. You could sell a subscription uh, ongoing to content, if you will. Uh, I mean, we've we've seen that happen in a lot of cases with New York Times that they're they're finally starting to take off again because they're selling digital subscriptions. So that's the difference, Mike. Is where 
I want you to think about, oh, okay, once I build this loyal audience, I actually have 10 different ways that I could generate revenue instead of going into a company and say, okay, well, I'm going to start this blog here and I want to hopefully sell my book and speak. Well, great, <laughs> but you're limiting yourself. And that's and just a little side note. There's not a lot so of money much, in books, let's be honest. Right? Well, here, here's the thing. I, I just want, I want to say this because I think about it all the time. You and I have some amazing friends that we that are in the industry that are doing some great things, creating some great content and have built tremendous audiences. Most of the friends that you and I have, they monetize almost exclusively through speaking and then a little bit of selling books. Right. And and I'm like, why have you done that? What, what, what are the uh, you you're leaving so much money on the table if you could just go outside yourself and just think well okay yeah you can speak and and yeah you could sell books but there are nine other ways that you could generate revenue and I get frustrated and I've talked to some of some of the people that you and I know and I'm like well, leave something leave something bigger than yourself and I guess that's the thing we, that we I do want not this scale. book to get out we yeah, I want this book to get out to people and let yeah. them know that there's there's more than just one thing. Yeah, human beings don't scale, and the and the the, the business of public speaking is um, selling yourself. Basically, let's be honest, right, Joe? Well, there is. If you really want to, so a lot of these people they really want to make an impact, and I love them. By the way, there's nothing wrong with this model, right. but if you want to be bigger and you want to scale, you have to you have to start thinking like a real media company. And how you would actually build a loyal audience that then can scale into multiple revenue opportunities instead of just what I can do. You should be thinking right away, and I, know, you and I might differ on this because you're way more involved in the business than I am. But I'm trying to think of every day, how do I completely take myself out of the business? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, I love what I'm doing, and I know you love what you're doing, and it's all about playing into your strength. But I, I think the key take home here is that. Uh, what Joe is saying for anyone who's listening right now is that there are lots of ways to make money that you're probably not considering. And for the smaller business, the the path that most people go down is they establish their credibility by creating content, and then they try to monetize that by getting high-profile public speaking gigs, often of which they are never invited back to, right? So it's typically a one-and-done kind Can't of replicate. thing. replicate, yep. It's a one-and-done exactly. kind of thing. They're traveling like crazy. They're never happy. And then what ends up happening is they stop creating content because they have what they think they wanted, and, and then all of a sudden the speaking gigs dry up and they don't understand why all that happens. Now, the alternative model is to consistently create content and to create um, services and products and ad revenue and all that kind of stuff that will carry on um, and, and, are, and are highly scalable, meaning the bigger the audience, the more opportunity that there is. And I think that's kind of really what you're preaching here. Am I right? Well, let, let, so yes, exactly. Let's look at it this way. Let's say, I mean, I don't know if you, you write down your goals. I write down my goals. A lot of people that I know that write down their goals that are in this situation would say, I want to make six figures a year. That's sort of my goal. Mm -hmm. Well, I want you to not put that down. What I want you to do is I want to sell my company for $20 million. Right. If you think about it that way, you have to do things different. You have to behave differently and you have to create a different business model from that than just speaking and maybe writing books. Absolutely. So to the person listening right now that's freaking out because there's 10 options, 
Um, how do they decide? Do you have a simple checklist? How do we decide which one we ought to dive into first? Because I don't think you're advocating do all 10 at once. Oh my gosh, no, no. And we never did too. I would say try what every six months is probably what you would do. Um, you start with the lowest hanging fruit. The lowest hanging fruit is generally some type of sponsorship where you where you have somebody in the industry that wants to reach your audience and it's really easy to find because on the keywords, just go into Google and on the keywords, you'll see people that are buying pay-per-click advertising or you'll see it on Facebook and they'll be promoting some service that's in your niche. So focus on those and you go out and put a sponsorship package together because they obviously want to reach your audience. From that sponsorship, you could do lots of different things. Then you could start to sell webinars. And by the way, you have to actually have an audience first. Mm-hmm. So make sure you get the audience part first. Whether that's, it depends on if you're if you're targeting uh, buyers, let's say have, have have a lot of buying influence and buy multi million dollar products, your list could actually be quite small. It could be a couple hundred. Uh, if you're targeting, I think you, I think you, you got to probably like 10,000, I think was the number before you really started to look at. Yeah, that's about um, right. We were three months in and we got to about 10,000 email subscribers before we decided to turn on any months, which is very, very fast, by the way. That's, that's very, that's fast. an anomaly. It, it, it took me about two years to get to 10,000. Uh, but that was probably our, our number two when we really started to, to monetize it. Uh, so start with advertising sponsorship and then just your opportunity because you have this audience is you'll understand that audience better than anyone else. Right. Talk to them. Read the emails. Look at what's going on in social media. Figure out what what's missing. So what's the gap? Is there a gap for an event of some kind like you and I found? Is there a gap where they actually would pay for premium content in a subscription or an ebook or something like that? Is there an opportunity to ultimately sell a product or services service because they um, they love you so much? And you and I were talking before the show about BuzzFeed, like people are wondering, well, how is BuzzFeed going to monetize when, you know, it's so much harder to sell advertising? Well, they launched this brand called Tasty and Tasty is the videos that you see on Facebook all the time. And they have hundreds of millions of people that watch these videos and they launched a custom cookbook. And in the first three months, they sold over a hundred thousand custom cookbooks, multi millions of dollars in profit for this thing. Huh. And now they just launched, what was it? A skill, a flat iron or a skillet that they, uh, that, that you a can hook up plate. to. It's hot a, plate. Thank you. Yeah. A hot plate that you could hook up to your phone and I'm sure they're going to be successful, but they already know their audience is, is interested in those types of products because they have the data from all the content that they're sending out. So thinking about it that way, but go to low and hanging fruit first, get yourself a field goal. Uh, you know, don't go for the touchdown yet. And then once you start one, then you can go on to the next one and the next one. And before you know it, you're on four or five and you're a multimillion dollar company. I want to zoom in a little bit on the premium content thing, because I think this is probably, especially for a smaller uh, business or a smaller, uh, you know, content creator is one of the easiest things to probably do. Can you kind of elaborate a little bit on what maybe the premium content thing is and what are some of the things that people could think about doing or selling? On premium so content. Yeah, it, and, and it, it, you're right. It probably is. So you're thinking about packaging up a piece of content for sale. So it's not free content. So what's over? They're already engaging in your free content. How are you going to upsell them into a piece of premium content? So premium content for us, you could maybe consider it subscriptions, but I really do consider our premium content our training. So we have basically what we've done is we do 
lots of different content in our master classes, in our advisory, in other things. And we package that all together into a training course. And we sell that for $1,000 a person. We already had a lot of the content. We just packaged it and positioned it in such a way that we could sell that. And by the way, the profit margin on that's like 95%. So it's wow. really, really profitable because they're already sunk costs. We've already created the content. So for somebody listening to this, let's say that uh, let's say that you have an amazing 12 blog series on something that nobody else in the industry is covering on something and say, well, shoot, maybe I could package those 12 blogs up in a certain way and sell them. And somebody would want to get it all together and wouldn't have to search it. Um, you could, you, well, could, you could probably it. do it more than just the copy. I would imagine you could create some videos to go with it and make a little course out of it. Couldn't you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you could make a little course. Uh, you could do it. You could do it audio. You could do it video. There's all kinds of different ways that people would pay for this. Um, so there's, yeah, it can be beyond anything that you could imagine and it's what you do already. So if you're, let's say that you have the uh, the face for radio or something like that. So do an audio course. Right. People pay for that. If you're really good in front of a camera, do the video course. And whatever the case is, you don't have to be, oh, I have to do it this way or that way. I mean, our good friend, Jolly Dumas has done an amazing job with Entrepreneur on Fire. And he, le- I mean, he sells affiliate subscription or uh, his uh, affiliate revenues through that. He sells webinar programs. He sells premium content deals where he meets with, uh, I think he meets with regular subscribers on like a monthly call or something. He's got all kinds of things going. So I think the ma- the most important thing is if you build that audience, they will tell you and they'll probably tell you what kinds of premium content they would actually pay for. Okay. Now I know some people listening right now are like, okay, let's say I've got a really loyal following uh, of listeners or viewers or readers, and I'm consistently creating free content for them. Why would they ever pay because they're getting everything for free. Well, first of all, you have to show them. So, and that's the free content. And your best content, uh, I think you know Bob Bly. I think Bob has spoken at your conference. Bob always told me (laughs) everything that he says in his stuff is your best content is your free content. Because if if your free content's not amazing, they're not going to pay for anything. So that's the first thing. The second thing is it's got to be something that makes it easier for them. So, for example, let's I'll use our example of training. If you really wanted to, Mike, you could probably go to 37 different places on the web and download all the different parts of the training that we offer. Or we put it in a nice little package for you. We put a little some tests with it. We give you a little certificate at the end, and people appreciate that. They've saved a lot of time and energy by not having to go out, and we put it into a, a format that makes sense to them. They can follow through, and they can finish it, and they can feel really good about their education. So that's the difference. You're, it's got to be something different. It can be the same type of content, but you've got to make it easier for them in some way to want to actually pay for it. You know, when I wrote my first book, I was reading a book on self-publishing because I had published that first book myself. And one of the, I can't remember who said it, but they said people will pay $25 for a book. They'll pay uh, a little more for a training and they'll pay, pay even more for an in-person training. So what, 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 what registered in my brain was like this fascinating revelation that people are willing to pay a premium for convenience and for intimacy. And um, I think that's part of the reason why, you know, we have to rethink how um, the stuff that we provide for free could actually someone would be willing to pay for it if it's if it's massaged, altered, packaged into a different way. 
um, and, and done in a way that provides value for people, all of a sudden you've got something really valuable from something you already kind of created for free. I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? Oh, well, so you and I know um, you and I both appreciate what Seth Godin has done. Right. I read The Dip back when he it had to be 10 years ago or maybe more than that when he wrote The Dip. And right in the beginning of that book, he says, by the way, these are all old blog posts, but I put them together in a format that I thought you'd appreciate. And I, I'm like, oh my gosh. It's like, he's like, you can go out for free <laughs> and find these, but I put them in this order that I think is really makes a lot of sense. That convenience is dead on. And I think sometimes we don't give ourselves enough credit, first of all, for the fact that we're sort of an expert in our area because we understand this a little bit. We've built this audience and we can sort of put this into a format that's going to make the most sense to that audience because you get them and they will, they will appreciate you for that. And that's, I cannot recommend that. That's probably the first way to go, even more than intimacy, which sometimes is a little bit different. That's your, you know, your Tony Robbins type. I'm going to, you know, charge you $3,000 to meet me in person and go through this whole thing. Or you could just look at smaller packages. In our case, you know, $1,000 for training is no small thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's a larger ticket item. But, you know, in some cases for Darren Rouse and, and Digital Photography School, I think he's got some ebooks that sell for five or 10 bucks. Tell people what they can find, what they can expect to find in your new book, Killing Marketing. Uh, if you don't understand this and it really doesn't sit with you well yet, you by the time you get through that book, you will have a totally different appreciation for marketing. Um, if you have people in your organization that don't understand this and you need to get them on the same page with you, this book is fantastic. If you are trying to then figure out how do I create a business model from this? This book is perfect because once we get the intros and we kind of set the stage for it, we go through chapter three, four, five, and six. And this is how you can actually create a business model for your organization, whether you are a one-person shop or whether you are the one of the 10 largest companies in the world so that you can actually integrate this and so hopefully in the future replace what you're actually doing right now from a marketing standpoint. Joe, where can they discover, uh, Joe Polizzi, where can they discover more about you and your brand new book, Killing Marketing? So anything on me at joepolizzi.com, the book is killingmarketing.com, or, or most people just will go to Amazon or whatever, but we love our friends at Barnes and Nobles as, as well. Uh, and then I'm very, very accessible at Joe Polizzi, P-U-L-I-Z-Z-I on Twitter. Joe, thank you so much for uh, joining us and sharing all your awesome wisdom and insight. Michael, it's as you know, it's been an inspiration for me as well. So I just appreciate what you do. And thank you so much for having me on. Well, I hope you got some ideas and inspiration from today's podcast. If there was anything we mentioned and you didn't catch it, visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 265. Hit that subscribe button if you're new to this podcast. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.